Uh, I'm just going to hit it, and we're going to get into it. I have no idea what's going to happen. Let's go. Okay. We're losing! Teamwork, guys. More teamwork. They're burying us alive! Eddie Shore? Oh, piss on Eddie Shore. Old-time hockey? Piss on old-time hockey! You're blowing it! And now, between the stammers, your unofficial Canucks cast, here's Art and Caleb. Better late than never. Art Aronson along with Caleb Kirby. Between the stammers, it's November 18th. It's our 50th episode. Getting old, 50, man. What a milestone. Who would have thought we would have made it to 50 when we started this thing? I have no idea. Uh, you, you're the only one. Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt like we would. But, I mean, we're late, and that's fine because we got a surprise for everybody. It's the big 5-0. Same, what, Canucks turned 50 this year, too. What a coincidence. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. The 50 to celebrate the 50 with a special guest. Art Aronson, you do the honors. Okay, so in keeping with our Between the Stammers, uh, anything goes mentality, uh, we're bringing on a special guest who we went to radio school with. He was also the, oh, I'm going to, I don't want to give you the, the poor say here. Uh, Rich Brown, who was also the Canucks reporter for News 1130 for a short period of time. Short period of time, Rich? Part part time, short time. So it pretty pretty special. You really nailed it. Yeah, that one. That's thanks, what I was going for, dude. Point. That was an electric intro for Rich Brown. I gotta say, Art rehearsed that. that was <laughs> really built my confidence level up with that one. Art. Yeah, I had it in my head. I was gonna. I was envisioning something just like spectacular, and that's all that came out. Yeah. Can we edit some <laughs> applause in there or something to at least zazz it up when we're done here? Um, that would make me feel better. I think everybody knows that Between the Stammers is raw and uncut. It's true. there's no such thing as after uh, applause put in. Yeah, fair enough. But anyways, we're very happy to have Rich Brown on, who is as big of Canuck fan as either of us. Uh, Rich, when did your Canuck fan fandom start? To be quite honest, I can't even remember. I was so young. Um, I, I was told by my parents that I would open up the sports page and just look at the pictures before I could even read. So I've, I've been a Canucks fan my entire life. And 94, obviously, was really when everything really took off. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, sadly been a lot of years of suffering, just like you boys. It has indeed. Uh, Rich knows a lot about the Canucks. And uh, he, he has been uh, to quite a few games this year. Rich, how many games have you been to? Uh, no, it's only been, uh, two, two so far. Well, that's I, saw, two. I saw the season opening win over the Kings when they thumped them. I don't know how that team beat the Kings, but it was quite something. <laughs> um, and then I also saw them thump the Florida Panthers a couple weeks ago. So that was pretty good. And, uh, we got another one on tap coming up in December. A couple, yeah. I think. So. so, so what you're saying is you need to go to more games because every games, every game you go to. The Canucks thump whoever they're playing. Yeah, so if the team is listening, uh, you know, maybe just send some tickets my way and the offense might come to life. Oh, I assure you, Rich, the team is not listening. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. They could have got lost. You never know. Yeah. Um, I've gotten it completely mixed up here to start this show. I've uh, butchered Rich Brown's uh, intro. I said Rich has been to a shitload of games. He's been to two, which is two more than between the stammers, though, I might add. That's a lot. That's a lot. You know, it's only 
so many games in so far. Our yeah. 50th episode, we're already on a roll here. Mm-hmm. Uh, our fact checker today is sick, as you can clearly <laughs> tell. <laughs> uh, okay. What about the first 49 episodes? <laughs> we'll talk about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sass from the... From our guest. I love it. Okay, so on tonight's, or uh, on this afternoon's, I guess I'm going to say this afternoon's, uh, between the Stammers podcast, uh, the Canucks have lost uh, six of their last seven. Uh, most recently, a 5-4 overtime loss to the Colorado Avalanche. Adam Gaudet is hot. Bo Horvat is not. Beagle and Roussel are on the mend. The Canucks are about to embark on a six-game road trip. A former Canuck, Corey Schneider, has been put on waivers. And we're going to talk about Don Cherry, too. We'll probably finish off with that. So uh, let's talk about the Canucks uh, losers of six of the last seven. Caleb Kirby, what have you seen? Um, I feel like it's mostly just, uh, I mean, they've been in most of those games, I'd say. Like the Chicago game probably got to me the most um, in, as far as this string of losses. But it's just, it's little things. It's They need to, their D to tighten up a bit. And getting your offense through the neutral zone a little quicker, um, you know, it starts in your own end now. And I feel like the Canucks have kind of lost a little bit of that. I think that was also attributed to these injuries that we've seen on guys like Sutter and Beagle. Like when the Canucks were playing as good as they were, they were coming out with like a wave after wave after wave four line attack. And um, because they're now covering up for those types of losses and bringing new guys in, I don't see that as much. It, the hockey seems a little tentative to me, like, when, you, when you're when you watching it out there. There's been some great individual efforts. Like, Godet last game was unbelievable. I think Vertanen's playing some really good hockey. Um, I kind of get Green's thinking of moving Miller down in the lineup and trying some different things to try and get a driver on all lines to get them going. But um, to me, I think the biggest thing is, is getting more offense from the defense, and mm-hmm. it's something that has been kind of lacking in the last – in the last couple games. So since the last uh, Between the Stammers podcast, uh, the Canucks, uh, they lost to New Jersey, who they never fucking beat anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they lost to Nashville, and then they lost to Dallas. No, and, no, no, no. Or they sorry, beat they beat Nashville. Nashville. Sorry, they yeah. beat Nashville. And then they lost to Dallas, and then they had the overtime loss uh, to Calgary. Uh, the Canucks were on a real roll going, you know, pretty much going into this uh, stretch, and they were in... Uh, you know, second place in the Pacific Division. Uh, everything was looking really good for the Canucks until this run. Uh, what have you seen in this run, Rich, that anything that's concerned you that you think is going to be like long-term for this team or is it just little adjustments right now? I don't think there's anything big that's concerning it. It just seems to me a team that's snake-bitten right now. Like, I, I don't feel that they're not generating chances. The chances have been there uh, for the most part. One one area of concern for me, though, has been the first unit power play. I just I think they look real stagnant out there, and the second unit is actually doing a lot of things much better than the first unit does. Um, and obviously in the first month of the season, the, the power play was a big part of the offense. And I just think that first unit, maybe it's that there's too much skill and they think that they can just use their skill and, and nothing else, but they don't they don't go into the corners and grind it out and get those loose pucks. And just because you're on the power play, it doesn't mean that the other team's just going to kind of back off and let you have those loose pucks. And so 
they're just giving up the puck a lot. Uh, they're moving the puck around the perimeter. They're not really moving bodies around. And all that does is it allows the defense to get set up in a spot where they cut down the passing lanes and the shooting lanes. So I just think they haven't been doing enough on that power play. And, you know, just getting the power play going can get the confidence going and everything can kind of get unlocked from there. That's what I see anyways. It's interesting. Like the power play is running at a pretty good clip. They're you know, they're sixth in the NHL. Yeah. They have, you know, 24.7%. Yet we're still, it's almost like as Canucks fans, we still expect more from this unit because they're just so, especially that first unit, they're just so talented up front. Curb, I know you've been off and on the whole power play of how they've been able, how they've been running it. Uh, have you seen anything different over those last six or seven games from I, that first unit? Well, I, kind of like what I was saying a, a little bit earlier. I don't think they're establishing the zone quick enough. It's like it, it just feels like they're not jumping on teams like they were earlier in the season. I think a big part of that is a guy like JT Miller, who has been kind of like this the one man zone entry machine, and he can you know get past guys quick down deep, win those battles to set something up, and then like Richard said. I just think they're a little too tentative, maybe too cute with some of those passes. Like sometimes the best option, especially when you got guys who've proven that they can grind it and bash it into the net now with a guy like Miller there or Horvat even, uh, get those pucks on net and then look for those rebounds, right? Like it's it's a cliche, but it is it's simple. Yeah. And and like the thing that I just can't stand it when I watch this team come through the neutral zone with with no speed. It's honestly like the biggest pet peeve of mine out of everything. And I feel like it has slowed slowed down a little bit in the last few games. And yeah. I don't know I don't know where that's coming from, but is that Jay Beagle and Sutter being out of the lineup too? I don't know. Like is that is that really affecting this team? I, I noticed last game they kinda I thought they struggled in the face off circle. Um I, I don't know if the numbers well, bear that, but I did not uh, I thought key moments they struggled in the faceoff circle. Yeah, I think Horvat's having to take some of the heavier draws now too, right? Because he's got to start taking defensive draws more so often than starting in the offensive zone with with guys like Beagle and Sutter being out there. I I, I really do think losing those guys hurts. I mean, when you look at the, the Canucks lineup right now, a third of the players that they started the season with are out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. That's That's a big loss to any team. Like, we have enough depth to kind of patch the hole. And I think Gaudet and his run up here has been fantastic. I think he should stay up here and, you know, maybe another guy should be sent down. But um, it's not it, – the team doesn't have the swagger that they had before. Rich is kind of right. They have been snake bit too. They have run into, um, you know, backup goalies, which is like the biggest kryptonite to a Canuck team ever. <laughs> I, I don't understand how we can, like, light up a guy like Pekka Rene and then we get a no-namer in net and we can't solve him for some reason. Like, it just – it seems like it happens every year. Um, but, like, to me, the Dallas game really stands out as a game that I thought was ripe for the picking. I mean, like, you know, Dallas comes in there the, the, the day after they've already played Calgary in a pretty heater game. And uh, the Canucks get off to, a, I thought, a, a really good start. Ben gets in that fight. Dallas scores a weird one, just like off a defensive breakdown. And then to me, that was kind of the game. Like it just a comedy of errors from there just fell on the D a little bit. And and that was a disappointing. That's how you lose. Yeah, that was a disappointing loss because Dallas had played the night before. Yeah. I, I had I had noted to Kirby when I was watching this game that Dallas like worked over Calgary before that game. Like they because I happened to watch that game. 
and I said, there's no way Dallas can bring it like they brought in that game. Yeah. Then, you know, the Canucks kind of just let them, yeah. let them win that and game. And then that very same night, like the Oilers are just schlocking the Avalanche. So you know that that Saturday game is already just going to be an absolute battle because that's the next game that the Avs have to do in Vancouver and they got to finish a little strong after getting embarrassed out there. So I'm... I mean, the the backup kind of bugs me, and I thought the Canucks played well against the Avs, but the Dallas game, to me, I think is the bigger... It's the harder loss to take out of out of all this stuff that's happened here. Yeah. Um, here's one thing I've seen, and maybe, Rich, you can add to this as well, but I, I think Edler and Myers has have really struggled. And, I mean, it's because they're playing a lot of minutes. They are playing a lot of minutes. And uh, Alex Edler, and I said this on Twitter that I would unload on Alex Edler this 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 recording. So I am going to a little bit, but and I mean I always hammer on Alex Edler. I'm the Alex Edler hammer. Uh, he pisses me off to no end. Seriously, he is so soft on the puck in areas that I just it drives me nuts. And there were so many examples of it in the Colorado game. So many examples, and then also him shooting the puck at the wrong time into. Uh, defenders, equipment. It's just, it's, it's, it's just everything. Everything that I hate about Alex Edler has come out in the last during this run of uh, of losses for the Canucks, and unfortunately, he's playing more minutes than anybody else for the Canucks, and maybe that's the reason why we're seeing that. Like he's he's being asked to be the number one defenseman on this team, even though he's not. Like he's not a number one defenseman. He's not that good. And then Myers, his uh, partner, I find that he's really good in the offensive zone, but in the defensive zone, that's his folly, and we've been saying that forever. And he's he's definitely had a few moments where he's looked lost in his own end. Uh, and I think for me, that's that's the biggest reason that they've been struggling here. Those two guys, I really believe that. Uh, but yeah, maybe they don't quite have it going on the first unit power play. Maybe they don't... Um, uh, attack the offensive zone with speed as much as they have in the earlier parts of the season. I don't know. Rich, what do you think about uh, Myers and Edler's play over the last seven games or so? Well, I think I think you you said it best about Edler, but I, I think there's times where he can be that number one top defender. It's just for some reason with him, maybe it's a lack of focus. I don't know, but uh, you either get it all with Alex Edler or you get none of it. And we've seen long stretches where we've seen none of it. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago when the team was really struggling, two, three years ago, I mean, I, I think he had lost motivation and it was tough to watch. We were looking to ship him out for anything. I would have taken a sixth-round pick for Alex Edler at that point, but then you come back to the end of last season and how well he played. Uh, you knew the team had to re-sign him if they had any chance to compete this year because – there's just no one out there that we could replace him with. So unfortunately he's the guy we have to kind of rely on as our number one defenseman, whether he's going or whether he's not going. And right now he's not going. So you kind of got to ride it out a little, but uh, that's just been Edler's career to me in Vancouver. <laughs> do you do you guys think that this guy's going to be the biggest lightning rod? Like, do you think he's the biggest lightning rod for like praise and criticism and like, people like defending him and attacking him that we've ever seen. Cause I kind of feel like it's people are always talking about this guy because he is a good player. Like we've never dismissed him as a bad player. We all know he's a good player. It's just like, he is off and on hot and cold so much that I think it just frustrates everybody in this fan base. Yeah. It's very frustrating. And you have to also remember the hype when he, 
came to the Canucks and how they came across him, it was kind of like that hidden gem that the Canucks had found that Detroit really wanted. He was a big Swedish defenseman that Detroit wanted, and we got him. And then when he came into the league, you could just see the potential there. And he was obviously in a, in a spot where there wasn't a lot of exposure for his game. So the fact that the Canucks were able to find him and draft him and bring him in, um, I remember the talk of like, is this guy going to win a Norris trophy someday? And of course he's not going to, <laughs> he's not even close, but we've seen times when you're like, this is, he's just such a good defenseman. He's physical. He's, one of those shutdown defenders, he can have a big shot, he can move the puck well, but unfortunately when he's not focused, he's everything but that. He he misses on routine checks or he fires the puck right into a guy's shin pads and springs him on a breakaway when he could have e- just as easily put the puck over to Pedersen or Besser and they would have been wide open for a one-timer. I mean, how many times have we seen one of our shooters just perfectly positioned for a one-timer and then Edler just fires it into a crowd that's right in front of them instead. I mean, it, like Kirby said, it's so frustrating to watch sometimes. Um, but that's just what we're stuck with. He's hard or soft. That's all he, like, on the puck. That's that's my problem with them. It's either, okay, he makes a strong, strong play, a hit or something, and uh, or it's the softest play you've ever seen. There seems to be no in-between with this guy. That's that's yeah, my I, problem. I think uh, what Kirby said there about he's he's the lightning rod, no matter what we're always talking about him, it's because he doesn't have an okay game. Every single game, you notice him, whether it's because he dominates and he has a great game and you notice it, or because he's so bad and he's out on the ice so much that it's it's completely noticeable as well. So no matter what, we're always talking about Alex Edler. Do you think that's partly on coaching too? Like, I mean, like Alex Edler, he is a horse, right? Like he gets a lot of the big assignments – as far as, uh, like, the Canucks are concerned. He's always up against the the other team's top line. Tim and Myers now, they kind of play a somewhat similar game. They're both big guys, but they can end up running around a little too much in their own end. And and lately, we haven't seen, like, those nice breakouts that we were seeing at the beginning of the year. Like, how much of that is just Green overplaying them because he he's, he's maybe trying to insulate a guy like Hughes or maybe he doesn't have as much confidence in, in the Stetcher and Ben pairing. It, it totally could be that he's overplaying them. I also think one thing Green needs to do, for a guy like Edler that we just we just talked about, he's either having a great game or he's having a terrible game. As the coach, you need to recognize when your players are not playing well. And just because he's your top pairing defenseman, or you know, I'm not just talking about Edler, but uh, the first unit power play, if it's not going, or whatever it is, if your guys are not going and someone else is, put the other guy in, give him more ice time because there's no point in trotting Edler out for more and more shifts when he's struggling. Uh, And this is the thing about Alex Edler. Like you said, they were in a position where they could decide not to re-sign him, but it seemed like they had to. And I was worried about a long-term extension for the guy just because... Just because of that year, you said he was uninspired. And uh, I thought they got him on a decent contract, though. Two years, six yeah. million. I think, like, that's 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 fine. Like, I don't, I, I can't look back at that contract extension and be like, that's a mistake. But he does have to play top minutes on this team. And is that is that something that we have to, like, is that something we have to look at, Banning, and be like, why is our top defenseman Alex Edler? Like, is that is that a real struggle on this team? But, like, do you guys not think the emergence of Quinn Hughes is changing that? Like, Quinn Hughes is already on the the first unit power play. Like, we're seeing that. They've already gone back to that drop pass 
a little more, a little too much to the well, in my opinion, than coming up the ice with a bit more speed to try and back those defenders up. But like, like, it, I think it's more on Green than it is on Benning now to decide how much of a backseat Edler should be taking versus Hughes minutes. Really, I I know he's supposed to be our shutdown guy, but like, what are we seeing out of guys who have been on this team that we know that we know who they are as players, like Edler? is a guy, you know, he's decent offensively. He's not good. He's not horrible, right? Yeah. No, he's actually, I mean, he's 14 he's, points this year. He's a big already. body. He knows how to uh, use his bodies to get guys off the puck. He's, if anything, he's kind of inconsistent. And I think most people would agree that sometimes when he tries to block a shot, he can be more of a hindrance than a help at times. Yeah. Right? To, to, their, to our goaltenders. Tanev is the same thing with how he plays. Like, he goes up and he tries to block these shots. But I don't understand what is with these guys sometimes. Rather than just taking the men, why are you in a spot in the first place where you have to be blocking a shot? Mm. There are, they're both in the top ten in, like, shots blocked by players. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, like, how has this turned into their game? And is this something that Green implements structure-wise, that he wants his D-men blocking the shots? Or should he want his D-men a little closer to guys when they actually have the puck. Like, I just think the defense as a whole in this little losing skid has been worse than it was at the beginning of the season. And I think it's in their own end, not only defensively, but turning the puck around and getting up the ice quicker. Because breakouts in this league, to me, are one of the most important facets of hockey nowadays. Yeah. Uh, Another player that's been struggling during this run, Bo Horvat. The captain of the Canucks. He has two assists in the last seven games. Uh, I think he is also a point that uh, needs to be it needs to be put out that he's been struggling. What have you been seeing from Bo Horvat's game, Rich? Well, I think uh, one thing that he hasn't been struggling in is the faceoff dot. He's been fantastic winning draws for the Canucks. Um, you know, I think I think it's just what's going on with the entire offense. I mean. Horvat has the potential to create his own chances, but he also gets a lot of his goals by going into the dirty areas and cleaning, cleaning up the mess. And I just think the Canucks in general, their offense, they haven't been controlling the zone very well over this stretch. They haven't been driving the net very well during this stretch and they haven't been getting the puck to the net and having bodies there. Um, So I think Horvat has struggled because a lot of his game has been taken away from the fact that the Canucks are playing on defense so much. Um, mm. But, of course, he is the captain, and there's games where you see it right out of the gates. They're struggling, and someone needs to do something to get that team going. Uh, I don't know what it is, but the Canucks really have been bad out of the gates this year. Yeah. Um, and I think Horvat needs to – look, I, I think he's a great choice for captain. This is not a knock on him, but I think he needs to look at himself and say, what can I do to get this team going quicker? Because – They've got to find a way to start games better. It's so tough in the NHL. These teams are all so good. I mean, you look at the stretch that they've been on. I mean, Colorado, Dallas, Nashville, uh, they've played the Jets, they've played the Blues. This Western Conference is so good and so tight. You can't afford to start games slow. So that's where I think he needs to, to focus his energy on. is on a fast start, lay a big hit early, defend well, try and drive the net you know, get some scoring chances early and get the mojo going. The offense will come, I think, if he does the right things. Uh, it's been interesting because 
Travis Green have, has been doing things to try and get that second line going. Like he moved JT Miller down, uh, Josh Levo up. Uh, Tanner Pearson, he, I mean, he broke a pretty lengthy streak there with a goal against... Um, Two. Two. Yeah, goals, with a couple yeah. of goals there against Nashville. But uh, if, the, if that second line isn't going, the Canucks are a one-line team, man. One-line team. Well, like, here's the thing, too, though, right? Is And I think Rich brought up a really good point, is the fact that they're not starting well enough. They keep spotting the other team in the league. 14 out of 21 games have been playing from behind. Oof. You're not going to win hockey that way. Like, you're just not. It dictates the pace. Some of them, some of them have been bad breaks too, where the Canucks have been absolutely out shooting the fuck out of the other team, and the other team just gets that one goal. And like you know, those games where you watch as a fan, you're like, man, like with, the other team's been under siege this whole time, and then they jar one. This just feels like one of those games. We've had a couple of those games this year where where it's felt a little bit that way. But um, I think, too, to your point of uh, what the lines are doing with Horvat, like, we've seen Levo and Pearson with them. We saw Levo bumped up because Levo isn't producing. Mm-hmm. Levo didn't produce there either. We saw Vertanen with Horvat, which actually was better than what I thought it was going to be. Vertanen's going. Like, he looks like a good player. But defensively, they've been struggling as far as the line. Like, they're in way in the minuses. Mm-hmm. Um Canucks are still plus 10, on. though. They're yeah. still plus 10 on the season. But that line is is a hard minus. And uh, I don't necessarily think it's on on Jake coming to that line. I just don't think that line is, has been as good in their own end as they were at the beginning of the season. I like Pearson with Horvat. And I actually I kind of like the Jake-Horvat-Pearson uh, line as a whole. But is there any other players that you guys are thinking of that are in this lineup currently at or that are coming back to the lineup that you'd like to see Horvat maybe with, paired with, given a chance with? I like the guys they've been using, personally. Like I said, I just think they're snake-bitten right now, but like the Horvat-Pearson pairing, since since Pearson came over in the Goodbranson trade, I mean, I, I think they've been great together. They just have formed chemistry, and it's just a slump. You know, I'm not a big believer in... Uh, completely changing the lines, maybe for a game if things just aren't going in the right direction. But if you think you have already put together the right lineup, then, uh, you know, if you try some new things and it doesn't work, I think you just stick with what has worked in the past and hope that they work their way through it. Uh, Travis Green spoke after the loss to the Colorado Avalanche. And to Rich's point there, he says this is just a slump. You know, I don't just base it on six or seven games in a hole. We look at every game and and discuss it. It wasn't long ago we were raving about our effort against St. Louis. Uh, you go into Chicago, I didn't think we were great. I thought Winnipeg, we had, that's a tough game. You get in at 3 in the morning and you're right there till the end. You miss a couple chances. Uh, you know, when you come home, we've, we've played two stages of four and six, four games and six nights. That's part of the NHL. Uh, you're not going to just go through, it's not going to be roses the whole year. You're going to go through some some tough stretches, and it's how you come out of those stretches, and if and you hang in there during those stretches. I thought tonight we found a way to get a big, big point. Uh, so yeah, that's Travis Green talking to reporters after the loss to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, I mean, he puts up a great point there, and how you know the NHL is a long grind of a season. I think I'm just wondering if, and and that's the question that I've put to you guys all together, and I'll put to you again that just how concerning is this six game? Losing streak. Can we, six and seven game losing can streak. We, can we just talk about that Horvat line for just one quick sec? I mean, like, Berchi's come back into this lineup, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And we haven't he- really seen him back with Horvat. And I'm not saying that I don't like Pearson on that line because I do. I really do. And I, I think Jake, since he's gone up there, he's made a case that he should be on that line. But it, it makes you kind of wonder where a guy like Berchi fits now on this team. Like, does he even fit anymore? Because when he's out there and he's playing on a third line with, with Godet, I thought that third line was really good. Well, they were good last game for yeah. sure, and, and he kind of came alive that game. Is that the kind of third line that you want to see out of the Canucks more this season, or do you want to go back to, like, the Sutter style that we, we had before? Because mm-hmm. Sutter was moving and that line was going, but that line had, had bigger bodies on it, and I, f- I feel like that's one thing that that line is missing now. I... I, I I don't know. I, I Sutter Sutter to me we can't count on this guy anymore. Right? So that's you can count why. on him for about forty games a year. Yeah. So yeah. I think yeah, I think Sven Berchi and Adam Gaudet are going to be counted on for the rest of this year because I don't think we can count on on Sutter anymore. Do you I don't, I don't know if that answers do your you question. Do you think the Canucks are trying to move him? Who's uh, Sutter? Yeah. No, I mean, I I thought that they maybe should have tried to move him when he was last healthy. year at some point. Um, obviously, they didn't want to do that, but no, I don't think they're trying to move him. I don't think they can get anything for him. So that's exactly why. What's the point? Yeah. So if Sutter comes back, right? If well, when Sutter comes back, are are you putting him on the wing? Are you putting Godet on that wing, or are you guys, you keeping that third line with, with Godet, Sutter, and and, uh, and Berchi, or, or how does that look? What well, do you think I, happens there? I think it depends on, yeah, Godet has looked really good the last couple of games, but it depends on his play around the time when Sutter comes back, but I think if he's continuing to play well, you don't take him out of center. It makes no sense. Yeah. Sutter can play the wing. He's done it before, and then he can still be a guy that, even if he's playing the wing, if it's a defensive zone draw, he can come in and take it um, to take the pressure off of Gaudet in that situation. Um, so that can help. I think, I think having Gaudet at center with Sutter there as kind of a resource on the line would actually benefit his development quite a bit. Yeah, it's like insular, right? Like it's kind of yeah. the same thing that they're doing with PD and JT Miller. JT Miller can play center. JT Miller takes, takes draws on that top line. Right, yeah. and then PD comes out and he naturally plays the position. I I would continue doing that if I was Green and had had those players at my disposal for the disposable disposal for the rest of the season. Yeah. I, I think Adam Gaudet has to be in the lineup, man. He has eight points in eleven games this year. Like he's he, you need that type of um, scoring output from one of your one of your bottom tier lines. Not only that, but his sellies are straight fire. <laughs> Are they not? Yeah. That was fantastic. I, I loved it. These are some of the best sellies we've seen, like, I, I, as Canucks fans, I think. I think between him and uh, Vertanen, like, those two guys, you want one of those two guys to score because they fire it up with their celebrations. Yeah. Right? We need like, a little more swagger. Who who was the last guy who sellied that well? It was, like, Burroughs with the Bourdon arrow, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right? Matt Cook, maybe? <laughs> yeah, Cook had some good sellies. Yeah, nothing, nothing against Elias, uh, or nothing against uh, Brock and Elias, but those they're a little more, you know, conservative with their celebrations. So it's nice to have a little bit of a uh, little swagger, and I think Gaudet definitely brings it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the Canucks are about to go on a very important road trip. Caleb Curry has been on record on this podcast saying we will know if the Canucks will make the playoffs or not 
coming out of this six-game road trip. I think they have to stay above water on this road trip, man. This is the hardest road trip of the season for them by a country mile. So at Dallas tomorrow night, then they'll take on Nashville, at Washington, at Philadelphia, at Pittsburgh, and then Edmonton, which is like, it's actually like a six-game road trip because they're at Edmonton. Then the next night they have to play at home immediately again against Edmonton again, a home and home. So this is a really tough stretch. Like These are all teams that might or are in a playoff spot or will probably be in a playoff spot. One quick note, though. The, oh, none of these games on the road are back-to-back, which True. is great. True. They get an extra day off between Pittsburgh and Edmonton, and then they play at Edmonton and then at home against Edmonton, like you said. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, like, th- like 500, I would love to see anything above that, obviously, but... I think that's kind of going to make or break their season is the success on this road trip. And it's, I mean, it's seven games in a row against playoff caliber teams. Yeah. Rich, uh, what what do you hope to see out of the seven games besides an all right sweep, of course? I mean, without, yeah, without looking too far down the road, the first thing I want to see is them take it to the stars because uh, as, uh, as Kirby mentioned earlier, I think that game that they played against Dallas the other night in Vancouver was there for the taking and they weren't able to take it. Um, and it kind of reminds me of when the Canucks went into St. Louis earlier this year and they were able to kind of steal that win. St. Louis came into Vancouver later in the year and you know, they wanted that two points back. I can't remember which Canucks said it, it might've been, uh, it might've been Petey, but uh, he said, you know, they're going to want their two points back and they, they found them. So I want to see the same thing out of the Canucks. It was a winnable game that unfortunately got away from them and they didn't, they weren't able to get anything out of it, but uh, they get their shot of redemption right away tomorrow night in Dallas. And I want to see them, you know, forget about the fact they've lost six and seven. Forget about the fact it was a tough homestand. Let's start the road trip off right, and I want to see them take it to Dallas. Who'd you rather see in net for Dallas, Hudovin or Bishop? <laughs> uh, the only person I don't want to see is whoever their AHL goalie is because the Knights <laughs> won't be able to beat him. <laughs> And then against Nashville, like Nashville, the Canucks, uh, their last victory was against Nashville, and Nashville's, they're going to want some back, man, for sure. Yeah, Nashville, that's going to be a really tough one. If they can get one point out of that game, I'll be happy because, yeah, Nash- Nashville's not going to be happy with how they lost that last game. They're uh, one of the so, teams, yeah, They're one of the teams, though, I think the Canucks have had their number on. Mm-hmm. Even, like, when the Canucks weren't that good, for some reason, they were always able to, to at least make a game out of it with the Preds. Well, especially Rene. I mean, they yeah. just light him up every time for the last few years. And maybe it's uh, 2011 is still in his head or something like that. But they've they've really struggled. Or, uh, he's struggled against the Canucks, that is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Caleb Kirby wants 500 out of that road trip. What do you want out of that road trip? Like, 500 or better, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I want to see eight points out of that road trip. Nice. You know, I want to see a win against Dallas. I, I think they could beat the Flyers. Um, and I think that Oilers game, the Oilers are playing well, but that's a big game for the Canucks. I, I'd like to see them get a win there and maybe get in overtime a couple times. Uh, Canucks have played really well against Pittsburgh over the last couple of years, too. It'd be nice yep. to get a nice, it'd be nice to get a victory there, especially with, I, I don't know what's going on with Sidney Crosby. It sounds like he might need like season ending surgery, which is crazy. I think he's out until uh, at least the new year. Yeah. That's nuts. I, Brock usually has Pittsburgh's number, too. Like, we've seen Brock kind of come. That was his coming out party, really, in the NHL. was the first time. Oh, yeah, Pittsburgh. that hat trick. Yeah. yeah, and getting that hat trick. And for some reason, uh, I think he's in Matt Murray's head a little bit. Um, 
Talking about Brock real quick, like I think he's been playing very good hockey as of late. Yeah, we've been um, negative here, but there are there are positives. You know, here, like guys. last game um, against Colorado, maybe not his best, but the games before that, man, he's got like a bee in his bonnet or something, and he's he's more physical than I've seen him play ever. Like, and I, I like that aspect to to his game, and I I think he's going to get rewarded with how he's playing. Yeah, I think. If you look back to before Petey joined the Canucks the the year before, uh, and Brock was like the only trigger man that power play had, I didn't want anyone else coming in and taking that spot. And then obviously when Petey came in and became kind of more of the focal, I mean, they use both of them as the trigger men, but Petey, I think, is more of the focal guy there. Yeah. Um, and he, he earned it last year. He was going bar down on every clapper he took. But for whatever reason, this year it feels like Pedersen shot, he's, putting it high and wide yeah. a lot this year. So I would like to see them start to set up a power play where they're trying to get Brock in space to shoot because he, he's been shooting well lately. And he's one of those guys when he's feeling it, when he catches fire, he gets that confidence and he really shoots the puck. Well, I want to see them try and find a way to get him going on the power play. I don't know exactly the number, but uh, his shooting, like the amount of shots that he takes per game is like, it's, it's it's down mm-hmm. per game this year, but he still has like really high quality of chances. So it's like it's kind of quantity over quality or quality over quantity for him at this point. But I, I'm with I'm with Caleb here and thinking Brock Besser is playing like the best hockey of his career right now outside of the Avalanche game, which I thought he really struggled. Caleb's like, I agree. No, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm totally like, I agree. I mean, that's why I brought it up. I just think I just think he's he's been great. I, it's weird, right? Like, and this is what fans do. They they obviously get a little over analytical and stuff like that on 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 the matchups and the lines. And I'm sure coaches are over, always thinking about this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. We see two guys who can absolutely rip the puck on the top line. You know, we've seen in other situations, in, in other uh, markets and stuff like that, guys like that get split up before, like Besser and Petey, and, and, and Besser maybe drops down to be a trigger man on, on another line or something like that. Uh, how far away do you guys think that they're? this is something that the Canucks have even considered? Splitting them up? Yeah. On the power play or on the... Just, no, regular, uh, even strength, right? Because, like, I mean, the power play is clicking. The the numbers back the power play up. It's sixth in the league. It's over, you know, I think 35% or close to 35%. But at five on five, we haven't seen as much come from not only that line, but the second line as well. Well, I think you've seen it before. Bo Horvat and uh, Brock Besser have had great chemistry when they've played together. And so if you're looking at hey, the top line isn't really clicking right now. We've got the two trigger men on the same line. Could we split them up? I think it makes perfect sense to give it a try to put Besser in with Horvat because like we've said it earlier, Horvat is struggling as well. And if you could get Horvat going with Besser on that second line and then hopefully maybe Pedersen, he'll start thinking shoot more because sometimes I do think that he gets in a, a pass-first mode because he knows he's playing with a guy like Brock Besser. And yeah. so maybe... That, that could be a move that could kind of spark the offense if they needed it. Uh, I think Furlan coming back and having, like, an actual impact is going to really affect what happens with Brock and Petey if they're ever going to split them up, How right? far out is Furlan? Yeah. Do you know? I, no, I don't know. 
concussions. I don't think we know. They've been really quiet about Fruitland. They have been. Yeah, that's why I was just wondering when you brought it up. I was just like, what? Yeah, because he's a top six forward that's supposed to be on this team and really hasn't played much. Yeah, Yeah, really hasn't played much. The the Levo thing in the top six, like, I just, I don't see enough consistency in his game and his playmaking ability to merit that spot. Like, when he does get the puck, it's not that he isn't dangerous, but it's just like you're not expecting that shot to go in. I, I like when it, when Levo gets the puck on his stick, unfortunately, as of late, I'm expecting him to kind of sail over the net. I really am. <laughs> and I like Josh Levo. I think he does a lot of things well, but I, should he be in the top six or should there be other guys who maybe get that chance rather than him? Well, who, who, I think I think a good team, Josh Levo, is a solid third-line player that in a pinch can jump into the top six if needed, but you don't want him there regularly. Yeah. I, and I feel that I, I definitely feel that way on this team. I one thing I think Green is kind of doing right now is he's he's not putting any wingers on their off wing. He wants everybody to play in a spot where they're comfortable, mm-hmm. right? And that's because, a good thing to do. Yeah, and because Lebo is the hand he is, he's getting looks over some guys on that top line who haven't uh, who haven't got the looks because of what hand they are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's all the Canuck stuff I wanted to get into. Rich Brown, which I should have said this earlier, but I really butchered up the whole Rich Brown introduction thing. And I'll 50th I'll, episode. We're I'll, never getting it again. And I'll, I'll, I'll keep taking it. All it. Up. I'll keep taking it. I'll keep taking it from here on out. But Rich is going to be joining us on a semi-regular basis because he's going to be the start of a new uh, little segment we have. And I've kind of laid it on Rich to kind of like say what that segment's going to be called because I'm not that creative and Rich is a creative guy. Caleb, you're a creative guy too, but you haven't come up with anything yet. Uh, Rich- I, was, I thought this was a surprise. What do you mean? I didn't know that there was going to be a name for it. I mean, it's really <laughs> it's a poll question. I don't know that you can come up with some like clever name for it. Uh, but. Now, Art Farm this for you too. <laughs> hey, you man. You really set me up. You know what's funny is he's in this uh, communications program. It's part of the reason why this podcast is a little bit late. He's in this communications program, yet with deciding what the name of this uh, feature is, this yeah. segment, yeah. did he communicate any of that to you at all, Rich? That I had to come up with a name? Yeah. No, no, I didn't know I had to come up with a name. I inferred it, I think. Was there an, <laughs> was there an inference? <laughs> he's claiming there was an to... inference. Do I'm I have to dive into the records and see if I can find something. <laughs> I have to go in there. Anyways, uh, pretty much it's going to be Rich coming up with a poll question for us because he's really good at this. And, uh, Rich, have you thought about a poll question for this 50th yeah, episode? So I think I, I only have one option for you this time, so I hope you like it because if you don't, you're kind of stuck with it anyways. Hey, it's, it's the like 50th. Alex Edler on the first unit. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the 50th episode. you got to bring it here, Rich. Okay, so the 50th episode, it's a 50-50 question. You only have two options. So the question is, would you sign Jacob Markstrom today to a seven-year, $49 million contract extension if he would take it? And it's either A for yes or B for no. So what do you guys think? This is good. This is really good. You know what? I'm kind of 50-50 on this. Just to give it some some perspective, Bobrovsky obviously – uh, has a much higher profile than Markstrom, but he gets ten million a year. So this is this deal would give Markstrom a seven uh, million dollar per year annual average, and it would take him until he's uh, well, he's twenty nine right now. So I guess he he would be thirty six when the contract expires. So where does Thatcher Demko play into your line of thinking here? Because here's where it gets interesting, right? Next year, 
after next season. So this season and after next season, you got the expansion draft coming up. Mm-hmm. And you can only protect one goaltender. So you're going to have to choose between Markstrom and Demko. I mean, really, if this contract is out there, it's somewhat it probably makes the decision that you could potentially leave Markstrom available. They might want to take a chance. It all depends. I mean, you look at how Vegas did things, but uh, taking a big contract. So tough to say, um, but we, the Canucks are going to have to make a decision in the next couple of years, whether it's Demko or Markstrom. But in any case, I don't think you'd lose Markstrom right now. Um, he's, you look at, so here's how I look at it. You look back at about December of last year when he really started to turn it on. And I read an article, I can't remember who wrote it, it might have been Ian McIntyre, but it was about why, why all of a sudden Jacob Markstrom put things together. And I think sometimes, you know, from the outside you look in and you just see a guy that's gotten hot and you assume it can't last forever. But what, what happened is with, the, with Ian Clark, the goaltending coach there, he made a very significant change to Markstrom's goaltending style. And it's the same tactical style change that, Clark made with Bobrovsky when Bobrovsky got to Columbus. And that obviously turned Bobrovsky into a Vesna winner and now a $10 million a year guy. So the change was to kind of narrow up his stance and just be more moving side to side instead of trying to expand yourself and block off all angles. So Markstrom is now kind of tighter in his stance, but that allows him to go side to side a little easier. And so anyways, when this change was made, this is when Markstrom has taken off. And really, he finished last year strong. He started this year strong. We haven't seen really any dip in play over an extended period of time. I'm convinced that Jacob Markstrom is a number one goaltender. Mm. I like Thatcher Demko a lot, but it's still, with goaltending, we've seen it time and time again. And I think we're going to touch on Corey Schneider. I was convinced that Corey Schneider was a number one goaltender when he was young. Um and now he's been waived by the New Jersey Devils. And injuries played a part in that, taking, you know, kind of derailing his career. But I, I think Markstrom, he came in with a lot of hype. It was tough in Florida. It was a bad situation. He was young. He didn't have a lot of help. It was probably tough on his confidence. He comes to Vancouver. I didn't think he's been, I don't think he's been bad at any stretch, but I didn't think he was going to be the number one. He, to me, he was the stopgap until Demko hopefully took over. But now I don't know. I think Marstrom is a legit number one. Demko looks really strong, but it's still early for me to say. So personally, I would sign Markstrom to that contract right now. This is a great question, right? Because, I mean, like, there are so many variables here. And you got to, like, we haven't touched on this yet on this podcast, but, I mean, Marky just lost his dad to cancer, yeah. right? Yeah. And, like, he is still playing pretty darn good in between those pipes with Probably where his head isn't exactly in the game as much as it, it usually is. And, I mean, like, it's it's good for those guys to have their teammates and, and support around him. And a lot of guys, like, that's their escape on the ice to get escape from from all the BS and stuff. But, like, yeah, I'm kind of with you, Rich. I think Marky has been playing great, great hockey. Uh, I want to know where the seven years comes from. Is that just, like, taking you to the end of his career, essentially? Yeah, I think that's probably a number that you're going to see him looking for at this stage in his career. I mean, yeah. you could potentially get him for six years, but you're probably going to see that that annual average go up, maybe to uh, somewhere around 7.5 or 8 per year. Mm-hmm. But I think at, as a 29-year-old, you're looking for around a seven-year deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bobrovsky, that's what he got with seven years. 70 million it's really interesting because i do think that marky has arrived as a goaltender and i don't think he 
he's going to revert in any way to how he was playing before. Even though before I didn't think he was horrible, I just thought he was like your average NHL goalie. He's a solid goaltender, right? right? Yeah, like a 1B your, kind of guy. Exactly. He was your average NHL goalie. And then, like, there's nothing wrong with that. But now Markstrom is stealing us games. And I think that's great. I do get concerned, though, going all the way to 36 years old. I look at a team like Montreal. Montreal, like, arguably has the best goalie in the NHL, right? And, I mean, he's not making $7 million. He's making quite a bit more, but the Canucks don't necessarily have the money to be spending on their goaltender for seven straight years when you got to re-sign guys like Petey and, uh, and Hughes and who who knows else coming up? Like who, who knows? How well, Brock Adam Besser God- is on a bridge deal. Yeah, and right? who knows about Adam Gaudet? Right, like he's starting to heat up. We see him. They're they're going to want to keep some of these pieces, and we have a guy like Thatcher waiting in the wings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think seven years at seven is probably too rich for my blood right now. Mm-hmm. If anything, I would try and and give Marky a bridge deal because it's it's like what we've seen from some of these other guys. It's the sample size is still pretty small. It's just, it's a little over half a season that he's been playing lights out. Mm. And I, he is going to make it difficult on these guys to try and make this choice. I think Thatcher, man, with how much, um, with how much people were talking about Thatcher when he was playing in the NCAA, his pedigree and everything else. I think Thatcher is the real deal. I think he was slowed down by injuries and you can already see him. He's competing for this number one spot to a point of, Art, you brought it up uh, this week. Art's like, are we going to have a goaltending controversy here right now? Because because Thatcher is playing lights out puck, really. And, and I do still kind of see Thatcher more as the future, whereas Marky, I mean, if they could sign him to a bridge, if they could do anything like that with him, I'd be okay with it. But God I don't damn. know. God damn it. I, I, I don't think... I don't think he'll take a bridge deal because he's he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, someone's going to pay him. Yeah. So it's to me, it's you either pay him or you lose him because someone will. And the way I look at it now is, you, I think you could sign him to that deal right now. I, like I think he would accept a, a proposal like that with how good he has played. We don't know how well he's going to play the rest of the season, and if he keeps it up and. I mean, there's a lot of good goalies out there, but if he can get himself into the Vesna conversation, how much are the Canucks going to have to pay him at the end of the season? Okay, so let's say you do sign him to that contract, Rich and Kirby. Yeah. What do you do with Thatcher Demko? I don't. You know what, man? I'm going to say no. I'm not signing him. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, see, the Seattle expansion is coming up too. I I think Thatcher has enough in the tank to go with with what we have. The, the only way I'm signing him is if, if the Canucks can trade one of their prospects. Like, if they can trade DiPietro out there and get something for him, then, yeah, maybe I'd, I'd sign him. If not, I, I'm bringing DiPietro up, and I'm going to start riding Demko heading into next season. Wow. We still have a full year of Markstrom. Mm-hmm. We still have that, mm-hmm. right? The Seattle expansion is coming up, and if Markstrom plays the way that everybody thinks he could potentially play, he's going to get plucked anyways. Well, exactly. So you may as well sign him now because if if down the road you decide, you're just giving yourself more time really to decide between Markstrom and Demko because, I mean, if he's really as good as we think he is and the Canucks end up leaving him unprotected to protect Demko instead, chances are that Seattle's going to take him. And then one thing, it's kind of a, 
to me, it's a big domino effect because you look at how many like good good forwards we have right now, and I know yeah. it's an odd time to be talking about it because the offense has been struggling. But really, I look at we've got a lot of good forwards on the team right now, and yeah, if you can end up having a goaltender taken that you're talking about potentially losing an unrestricted free agency this year instead, anyways. I mean, I would rather them take a Markstrom and leave the forwards than lose one of those forwards because we've seen it year after year after year with this team. You need so much depth in this league. The Canucks, I don't know what it is, but just injury-prone every season. Um, So you don't want to lose a guy that can play in the top six, whether it's a Pearson or, um, you know, one of those guys. It's just seven years at seven million is a big question mark for me when a guy's heading into like some of those twilight years, you know, after like 33, 34, he's still making seven million a year on the books. Like, I mean, we've already had that issue with that other guy on this team who is, who's actually making this decision a lot more tougher for me to justify really like Louis, the decision to sign Louis Erickson is making this decision for me. Like just alarm bells going off in my head. And it's it's not a problem if he does get snatched up in an expansion draft, right? If he's the unprotected guy in the expansion draft and Seattle goes for him, right? But there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. There's 31 no, of course not. other teams out there that that where that could go down. And if they get saddled up with a lot of money in goaltending, especially when Thatcher is going to be asking for a contract soon as well, I I, I don't see it. Like, I'd rather pay the other guy. I mean, I think you could always end up trading him in two, three years if you needed to as well. But at seven million, and you're trading, sure. and you're trading that guy because you're saying my backup is ready. Well, is Demko really who we can? Yeah, he's the backup right now, but he's been the goalie of the future for the last four years for this franchise. But that's what I'm saying. You're already labeling one guy as expendable. Like, does that not bring that value down or perceived value down a little bit? Like, if I'm, oh a- yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get much for him. But I think there's going to be a team that's desperate for goaltending. Now, I agree, the $7 million, it's going to make, him, make it tough to ever trade him in the middle of the season because teams won't have the cap, cap space probably. And if they do, chances are they don't want a veteran goaltender that's going to help them win because they're probably looking for a high draft pick. Yeah. But I think uh, you look at trading him at the draft to a team that's struggled at goaltending. I mean, who knows? The Maple Leafs could end up down that road. No, you're, you're 100% right in that regard. Well, the Maple Leafs look like they're on that road already, but... uh, Exactly. This is a nice problem to have, though, guys. Oh, it's a a great great problem problem to have. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I I think it's too rich for my blood, especially projecting the future of a guy who's already 29, Mm -hmm. right? I don't think... I think he's a great goalie. Like, I really like Marky. Rich, would you be down for waiting before making this signing? Or do you want want this right now? That's the poll question, right now. Do it right now. I, I honestly believe that he's going to end up having a great season and he will cost the Canucks more than $7 million per year. He might not get seven years. It might be like a five-year deal, but I think he'll get at least five years and I think he'll, he will cost more than $7 million per year. I'm kind of with Rich and I want to see a little bit, or kind of with Kirby here, and I think I want to see a little bit more, but um, I get what you're saying there and that could be a problem down the line. But again... Demko, I think Demko is going to get a lot of starts here, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that. So it's a great. Question. That's the other. That's the other big question around Demko is can he handle a bigger workload? Because Markstrom yeah. has proven that he can handle a bigger workload now, and of course that's that's a question with any goaltender that hasn't done it. Because Demko, obviously coming out of college, you don't play a ton of games. Yeah, he he did handle a big workload in the AHL, but I 
we've seen a lot of goaltenders rip up the AHL that can't do anything in the NHL, and I'm not suggesting that's Demko, but I just, to me, I would I would be very worried about cutting marks from loose without really knowing for sure that Demko can handle a full workload of games. All right. Well, there's hey, dude, your- it's a, I mean, it's a great question, and it's a great topic of discussion, and, and like, the Canucks are going to have to be thinking about this if they're not already. Like, yeah. this is something that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. So there's now the- get your get your social media team on it because you got to post that poll question so we can get some results. <laughs> We're gonna post that up there, Rich. So would you sign Jacob Markstrom to a seven-year, fifty-six million call? Fifty-six million. Forty-nine million. Forty-nine. Or oh, sorry, forty-nine million. Yeah, that would be eight million a year. So yeah, forty-nine million a year. Would you do that right now? That's the poll yeah. question from. Rich Brown for today. Uh, we're a little bit over time here, Rich. Uh, I did want to get a little bit into Corey Schneider, though, being placed on waivers by the New Jersey Devils. Uh, the 33-year-old goalie, uh, if he clears, would be assigned to the uh, Binging, Binghamton of the American Hockey League. Uh, of course, the Canucks uh, took him with the 26th overall pick in the 2004 NHL Draft. He's 167, 157, and 57 with a 2.43 goals against average and 19, or sorry, 918 save percentage in 402 games. So he has pretty good numbers as an NHL goalie, does he not? But in the last well, two se- last two seasons, those numbers are plummeting. Yeah, very quickly. And that's he went over a sorry, he went over a calendar year without a victory in the NHL yeah. at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, 0-4-1 with a 4.59 goals against average, 8.52 save percentage. You think he gets? You think he clears waivers? Absolutely. You really? Yeah. yeah, he makes too much money. Nobody's going to be able to claim him now. If he ends up getting called back up, and you could get him on re-entry waivers, he might be worth the flyer. Yeah. What What do you think happened with Corey Schneider here over the last? Do you think it's injuries? I think I think Rich touched on it already. It's it's injuries. The guys. Yeah, he, he's he seen got a lot out of, of his rubber. rhythm with all those. Yeah. yeah. I think confidence is, is the big thing, right? The injuries kind of derailed him. He lost his confidence, and he's been spot starting for a few years now, so that makes it almost impossible to get your confidence back. I mean, some guys are able to do it, but if he gets down to the farm in, in Binghamton and he gets a good run of games, we could see him get his confidence back. I mean, we'll see how he does, but if another team could get him and give, give him a chance if they didn't have to pay the full cap spend on him, it might be worth it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's definitely an interesting note. Uh, I liked Corey Schneider. I've always liked that guy, so I, I cheer for him. You're uh, going to want to hear this. Gary <laughs> <Jerry> Bettman. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget that day. Yeah, I, I, I feel like we've won that day. Yeah. We did. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Uh, Bo Horvat, now the captain of the Vancouver Canucks, Corey Schneider, to the AHL. Crazy. Crazy. Really? Crazy. Yeah. That day, I remember where I was when that trade happened, too. Yeah, I was up at the lake. I didn't come. I had such a great day. Here's here's a quick story. Quick <laughs> one-off. I was up at the uh, the quarry, which is, like, top of the Malahat. It's, like, its own private thing. Yeah. I was up there for hours, just having the greatest time. I came back. I heard that news. It ruined the rest of the day for me. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, uh, let's move on to, uh, I mean, there was a few other things I wanted to put, but I think we'll skip those because we are getting to the end of our train here. Let's mention the biggest news in, I mean, it's Canadian politics. It's the biggest news on the NHL. Don Cherry, uh, no longer part of Coach's Corner. I don't think, I think Coach's Corner is no more, actually. Ron McClain came out and, like, had a big... uh, 
he addressed it. I don't know if you guys heard that on uh, Saturday, the second, the uh, first intermission of the early game. He came out and uh, said that he had to make a decision between his friend or, um, you know, what he said, what his friend said. And he went by his own principle on this one. Uh, so in the aftermath of this, guys, what, like, I'll just start with you, Rich, and then we'll get to Kirby because I know Kirby has some pretty strong feelings about this. Uh, Don Cherry no longer coaches corner. Do, do you think Roger Sportsnet made the right decision? Well, I'm going to preface this by saying I think Roger Sportsnet made the wrong decision a while ago because coming into the season, I'm pretty sure his contract was up after last year and they renewed it. So, look, I don't know. He's kind of a a crazy old man and it's tough to know what he was really meaning by what he said and whether he meant everyone or whether he was singling out uh, like visible immigrants. I have no idea, but whether what he said was offensive, how he meant it, what he meant, it doesn't even matter to me. Don Cherry was bad at his actual job for the last 10 years. Why was this guy on television? He was out of touch with today's NHL. He had no clue what was going on. He has said in my opinion, much more offensive things in the past um, about all sorts of different groups of people. I don't know how this guy still had a platform to go on national television every Saturday night and just talk about whatever he wanted to talk about. I mean, to me, I get, I don't know. It seems kind of like uh, rash to just get rid of him so quickly like that. And just over that comment because it's really tough to distinguish what he really meant by it and was it really offensive what he said uh, you know it I won't be the judge of whether it was offensive or not because there's other people who are in that position that feel it was so they're entitled to that but for me Don Cherry wasn't actually a, a good hockey analyst he wasn't interesting I turned the tv off when he came on so they should have got rid of him a long time ago yeah, I mean, the rumor behind the scenes, too, is that he had a chance to walk what he said back, and he just said, no, I'm not going to change my stance on it, and that was uh, Sportsnet eventually letting him go. I'm with Rich, man. I think this falls on Rogers, and I think it falls on Rogers just being greedy. They had a cash cow there that they could milk in Coach's Corner because people would watch it. People are watching it for the wrong reasons now. They're watching Don to see if the time bomb's going to go off and what he's going to say. Is he going to say something offensive? Is he going to screw up a player's last name? Is he going to go after a player for some reason? Nobody's watching him anymore for his, like, insight whatsoever. Like, the insight is gone. But, like, because of the ratings, Sportsnet, and because of the Budweiser sponsorship, right, like, they kept them on air. They kept them going for way too long. And, like, yeah. it, it's kind of doing him a little bit of a disservice as well because now, like, I'm not saying that he he wasn't full of, of these types of comments and this stance was something new for him. It wasn't. But a lot of people perceived Cherry as a really great Canadian for a really long time. Even the CBC, who have tried to distance themselves from this whole thing, like, at one point he was on a program that – he was in the running of the top 10 greatest Canadians of all time. That is fucking insane. Yeah. Right? This is the way that this guy goes out. I think Sportsnet and Rogers and even Ron in a way kind of failed this guy. I'm not saying that Ron is responsible for uh, not sticking with Cherry. Ron is totally fine to have his own opinion. But Ron knew the type of man he was, and Sportsnet management knew what type of man this guy was. And this guy should have been shown the door a lot earlier than he actually was. Mm -hmm. But 
That all aside, I will say the thing that is driving me crazier about all of this stuff is media and how they how they're perceiving this and how they're reporting this. All of a sudden, people who don't give a shit about hockey whatsoever have a take on Don Cherry, and that bugs me. That really, really bugs me. And not only are they, are they attacking Cherry, but they're attacking the game of hockey and the people who play it, right? And when you start going after sports, like sports is something that unites a lot of people, in, not only in this country, but across the world, right? And when you start calling athletes and kids and stuff like that who play the game like frat boys and all that sort of shit, that's something that personally upsets me because I've made a lot of friends through hockey, through the game of hockey, I've learned how to respect people. I've learned how to work as a team. All these types of things that a lot of boys and girls across this country have experienced in a very positive way. And for these armchair Cheeto-eating fucking cynics to come out of nowhere and criticize this game, I think that's very wrong because of one guy. Like, it really, really, like, I, I haven't been this upset about, like, a story in a long time. And it really got me thinking, like, why am I this mad about a guy losing his job because I thought the that was justified completely. Mm-hmm. But it's people attacking like the spirit of sports and competition in a way that's not really fair to a lot of people who play it. Yeah, I think Kirby said it the best. Yeah, you just nailed it right on the head. I mean, you learn so many valuable life skills from team sports, sports in general, but team sports especially. Working as a team is so important in in school, in in your career when you get older. I mean, uh, just in relationships as well, learning to value others' opinions and how to balance that. I mean, there's just there's just so many skills, confidence. I could go on and on about what sports gives you and all the great people I've met through hockey. And to just generalize a sport as being a bunch of like privileged white kids that are bullies. I mean, that's crazy because. Like you said, Kirby, I mean, there's tons of kids that love hockey. Little little five-year-old, six-year-old Timmy or uh, whatever is loves to play hockey and turns on the TV and, oh, you know what? You're a bully because you play hockey. That's what he's seeing. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like, to me, it's – I don't want to get into it too much. It's a larger problem with society where if other people enjoy something that you don't enjoy, for whatever reason, people feel the need to, like, attack it in a way – like, why can't I just enjoy this and you can enjoy whatever you enjoy and I'll just leave you alone? I don't understand the need to get involved in something that, like, just because you don't like it, you want to take other people down for liking it. It makes no sense to me. These these op-ed pieces that have come out in the last week or so that are attacking this game from people that are looking to make a name from them, themselves as authors or contributors to whatever magazine or whatever publication they're working for, it's selfish. It's selfish, and they, I, I really do think that a lot of people don't realize the type of harm that they're doing and how much of an influence they can actually have on certain people, moms and parents out there that are concerned about this game that don't necessarily know what their kid is stepping into, right? Like, hockey is, and all sports for that matter, are, are meant to, to unite people, make people grow, and when people go out of their way that aren't necessarily educated in it as well and are attacking a sport rather than an incident or a person like it, it it's wrong yeah. flat out. Yeah. Can I, can I make one final point on this too? Um, her, her name is Laura Allen. I think the one from CTV. Yeah. The that was social, like the, one the, social yeah, yeah, the social. Yeah. The social. Yeah. You know, I listened to the clip. <laughs> she, 
she doesn't even know what she's talking about. Look, hockey is a very expensive sport. There's no way around it. It is expensive. But she says it costs parents $5,000 a year to have your kid in hockey. That is, like, so far from true. It's insane. I don't know what the exact cost is now, but when I was a kid playing hockey, it probably cost, like, $500 to play. As an adult now in beer leagues, I pay, like, 800 bucks to play a season. Yeah, it's, a, it's an expensive sport, and then the equipment is expensive as well. But – she went on to say it cost $5,000 a year and all the, there's better things to do. So first of all, that's like way far from the truth. It doesn't cost you that much money to play hockey every year. But then second, she goes on to say about all the better things you could do with that money, like travel to Italy or something like that. Like, what the hell is she talking about? Yeah. People are allowed to play sports if they want. And if you want to travel, go ahead and travel. Why are you telling people that allowing their children to fulfill their dreams of playing hockey is not worth as much as a trip to Europe. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I saw so, people, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. I agree with you. I saw people calling for her head, and I don't think that's necessary either. I no, think that just it's makes, just a stupid TV yeah, show. It just makes everybody mad at everybody else for that sort of stuff. But what she was saying was wrong, and she has a platform to say it on. When there's a lot of kids out there, myself included, who's given a lot of hand-me-down equipment from family and from friends because my parents – you know, like hockey was expensive for them. So I was getting, you know, Cooper shin pads from other family members that were able to hand it down to me. That's not uncommon in Canada, right? There's yeah. leg up programs for kids from sports stores that go and they buy used gear at a fraction of the price. And they give that back for other kids moving forward. There's jumpstart programs like Canadian Tire has one for, for kids in certain areas that can't, can't afford hockey. I wasn't even one of the 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 kids in that played hockey that got their hockey funded from those programs. But I saw other kids with single parents that were able to do that. I saw a leagues by children, goaltender equipment that wanted to at least have a chance to try and play net. Okay. Right. Yeah. And that when, when people attack the game in that way, it, it, I really find it disgusting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just on the Don Cherry thing, just cause I haven't had us, I haven't had a chance to say anything on it. I, I understand why people are upset with him losing his job because of what he represents, right? He represents all those things that you guys have said that is good about hockey. He represents, um, like, he's, he's done a lot of great things for in communities. He's done, he always talks about the troops, which, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's something in our, um, in our national consciousness that we don't do enough of. Like, he, he, yeah. he, I think he is a very good human being. But I also agree with you guys that, like, he's out of touch he should have been off TV a very long time ago. He's not good at his job. You said those things. And what he said was, you can't be saying that when you have a national platform as someone who's a visible minority who has come to this uh, country and, uh, you know, is happy to say that I'm happy to say that I'm part of this country. And um, I don't know. Yes, he is. He I think I do believe in my heart that he was targeting some immigrants. I do believe that. I mean, he's he's shown he is showing. Uh, he's shown it in the past too, with some of his xenophobia. He has yeah, shown. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, for sure. So for me, yes, he had to go. But I do understand that uh, Rogers should have done this a lot differently, and they shouldn't have done it on Remembrance Day. You know, because here's a guy pushing for veterans here on Remembrance Day, and then you fire him over that. Because I think his heart was in the right place. But yes, it is a matter of speech, and he didn't use the right speech, but it is really ironic because he's been so bad with his speech for the last 10 years. And this is, this is what finally does it. 
Dude, remember that yeah. that video we watched like a couple weeks ago where Cherry was mispronouncing names for like 16 minutes? We do it for fun. It's like and we laughed our asses off because it is funny. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't full of any of those like type of xenophobic off-color comments or anything like that. It was just him mispronouncing players' names. Mm-hmm. But you're Rich is right. Like he hasn't been able to do this job for a very long time, and I truly believe that they've kept him around just because he's money. made them money. Yeah. Yeah, if you want a good laugh, you got to look up Coach's Corner Transcribed. Yeah. Funniest 30-second clips on the internet. It's it's fantastic. Um, and then to touch on what you said, Art, I think I think you're exactly right that you know Cherry. He's made comments in the past that we know we know what he is. And the thing about Don Cherry is that he's he's pretty damn old. Like what is he? 85. He's 85. He's, he's a product of the time he grew up in. Don Cherry did not change. Don Cherry did not change. Society yeah. changed. We we became more aware of these issues and people who are being marginalized in society and how speech can really affect the way different groups of people are perceived in public. And, you know, we've just evolved, and Don Cherry has not evolved. And that's why it's on Rogers, in my opinion. Yeah, Don Cherry, he doesn't mean bad. I think he's a good person. He tries to stand up for what he believes in. And he probably has a good heart. He just doesn't understand what he's talking about. He doesn't understand how what he's saying is is just ignorant and hurtful in ways, right? And so when you put an 85-year-old that is not going to change his stripes today uh, and you keep putting him out there on a Saturday night, you're just, you're just waiting for the bomb to go off. I think you said that, Kirby. I yeah. mean, that's exactly – we knew it was going to end this way. If you keep signing him up for another year, this is how it was going to end. And it's unfortunate because he should have rode off into the sunset 10 years ago and we wouldn't have had to talk about this, but it's, uh, it's unfortunate. Bill Burr put it the best, the comedian, Bill Burr. He says, sometimes you can live too long. You wear out your welcome. And that's what yeah. happened to Don Cherry. He wore out his welcome because he didn't change with the times. And he's lived, he lived in that spot in that bubble for too long. Yeah. And, yeah. it, and, and eventually got him. Um, Rich Brown's going to be joining us uh, semi-regularly, uh, hopefully, as much as, uh, I mean, we're all busy, so we're, we're hoping to get him on this uh, podcast uh, more often than not with his uh, weekly poll question. Uh, Rich, where can we find you on Twitter? On Twitter, I am at Rich Brown Sports. Nice. And he's got a blue check mark, too. He's really fancy. Rich, are you going to put up that poll question and we're going to put up that poll question? Or are we going to retweet you? How's this working? What are the logistics behind this? <laughs> it should be coming straight from the Between the Stammers uh, Twitter account because that's where you're following is looking for Between the Stammers news notes and poll questions, right? There you go, Art. That's where to put but it. But I will retweet it. I will retweet it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that could have been uh, discussed off the air, but good, guys. Uh, <laughs> is, your, is your social media manager sick today as well? Or <laughs> Oh, yeah. He's always sick. Caleb Kirby, where can we find you? At Curbman23 on Twitter. Uh, and you can find me at Art Aronson on all social media platforms. You can also email us at betweenthestammers at gmail.com. Uh, Rich, thanks for joining us. Caleb, it's been a pleasure as always. Oh, yeah. And follow us at Between the S. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Rich. Thanks, guys.